show's over. Turn it back around. Probably something more interesting over that way. <clears throat> but, Arbiter friend! Thank you. Oh, it's still warm. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Not! I'm sorry. Did you mean to suck? But, Arbiter friend! This crap! Arbiter, you are my hero. Chief, you may be the dumbest best man I've ever met. You had me the hero, huh? Well, now you're dead. Now you're a dead hero. And you're actually forgotten. I can't even remember your name. Hello, Spartans, and welcome to Halo Lorecast. It feels like such a long time in between these episodes for literally whatever reason. And I don't know, there, there's just times where I finish these chapters and I'm like, ooh, I need to talk to this with somebody. And then I'm like, who's read some Halo stuff and everybody has their hand down and I'm like, ah, shit, who wants to play Halo Infinite, and everybody has their hands down as well, I guess. So today we're talking about part two of Broken Circle, pre-2552. This is way before 2552. This first part is taking uh, uh, place quite some time ago. Um, and around, we're at 850 BCE. I think it ends on uh, page 92 at least in a very uh, similar spot, which is, yeah, 850 BCE. So, a couple of things before I get started in my anal cis. I let y'all vote. What do you want me to call you? Uh, like I said, one of you suggested uh, keeping Spartan. Somebody else said Arbiter Friends. One person voted Arbiter Thread Friends, and everybody else voted Spartans. So, I guess it's Spartans for now. Which makes perfect sense, but I don't want to discriminate against you ODSTs out there. Because let's be real, ODSTs are probably the hottest shit, period, in Halo. And they look cool and all of that stuff. So a couple of things. You can follow me on Twitter at Halo underscore Lorecast. I actually have, uh, for those who are infinite friendly, I have a t-shirt now in the shop with Fret on it. So if you love Fret, uh, the AI Fret. Go get your shirt. That'll be in the description below. Also, in my Twitter bio, there is a link tree that maps out all the other podcasts I do, and it goes to a shop with all the other merch there, including some DC stuff and some Marvel stuff. If you buy some DC stuff, half the proceeds go to uh, the Foundation of Suicide Awareness and Prevention, which is super dope. My friend and buddy Blaine um, kind of set that up, and also... If you want to play Halo sometime, because I need Halo buddies, if you want to add me on Xbox Live, I feel like I'm going to regret this. You can follow me at Didax Daddy. That is correct. You have to call me Daddy when we... Oh, God. My voice cracked. You have to call me Daddy when we play together. And that's just... That's the rule. That's the rule. So anytime somebody's near me, look out, Daddy. Hey, hey, I, you know, I didn't write the book. The rules are the rules. Plus, the winter update is so close to coming out. I'm, I'm honestly pretty excited for it. They dropped a phantom update yesterday with some social slayer on it. And I'm super excited to play the Kong mode, in all honesty. But I'm waiting for my friend to hop on so we can play that together. Um, so if y'all want to play Halo sometime, Didax Daddy. Uh, I also have a clan title, HLC, which is Halo Lorecast, of course. So... If you want to join my unofficial clan, hey, you know where to find me. So to begin, I said we were doing page 47 to about 94? 94 is where I got, which is chapters 2, 
through chapter 5. And this is so much, I wouldn't say shorter, there's so much more going on. And I'm going to try not to waste y'all's time. So last time we talked about um, the covenant forming a pact, the history behind the Sanghili and the Sanshayum. God, I fuck it up every time. And basically their throwaway history and kind of the reformist and um, Stoics and their different, their ideology ideology uh, or differences in ideology and uh, we went all the way up until um, an assassin tried to kill Usa Zealous and he was torn to shreds by Usa's own people and that's kind of where we left off of and I mentioned that McCann's um, story had it was kind of more intriguing to me and it was coming to life but also Usa's story didn't seem as profound to me so that's something that I felt and noticed. I also felt to mention that Kreka took um, Usa and Sun to the Shield World, and they met um, a monitor there, which is really intriguing, named Enduring Bias, who is somewhat lonely. Who was somewhat lonely? Uh, most of his memory core has either. Um, they either left a lot of information out, which we'll get into, or he's been so alone and somewhat lonely. Um, it seems that like we've kind of seen this with three, four, three guilty spark later on where it's almost as if like the, the kind of their human emotions are trying to seep through in so many ways, but it's so mechanical. It's just mechanized to such a point where it's almost unrecognizable and it just turns into borderline insanity, which is totally great. Not saying that happens in during bias because I have no earthly idea, but monitors don't really have the greatest of rap sheets, if I'm being honest. So chapter two, high charity, chamber of decision. Ooh, fancy. 850 BCE, the age of reconciliation, which is the third age that we mentioned. And the last one. The opening sentence goes, Our assassin has failed. We suspect our spy was caught and executed. It seems that Usa Zealous lives. So the individual that was trying to assassinate Usa Zealous was an implant of some Sanghili in the Covenant to try to murder Usa. Which is, uh, I didn't, I feel like there's there was sort of a Chekhov gun there that I just didn't catch. It seems so obvious because... In the last chapter, it's basically like, oh, yeah, you know, there's a spy there. We know not of his whereabouts, but, you know, we'll figure it out soon. And it's it's such <laughs> an interesting thing. So Commander Vio Griot shifted in his metal boots, which clankly softly on the deck as the proclaim his discomfort. We have confirmed that Usa Zealous has departed Sanghelios, a handful of adherents, just six lost heart and remained behind. They planned to follow him, but lost their nerve. They watched the ships depart and insisted that in Usa's intention of leaving the planet was cl clear. These disheartened ones came crawling to us, full of remorse, which will, of course, do the traitors no good. It's surprising that Usa allowed them to stay behind, stay alive, Corlum rumbled thoughtfully as he tapped the arm of his anti-grav chair to produce produce a pungent tea so of course they're talking about usa's mannerisms when it comes to uh certain things and kind of drawing the line and also in some ways the parallels 
between the Covenant and Usa and his people, right? This assassin was torn to shreds. It's not unlike something the Covenant would do to traitors. However, they seem utterly baffled of Usa's uh, unwillingness to put down treachery and engage in any kind of physical force. It's almost as if, you know, he's not a, a piece of shit. And they discuss where he went, and <laughs> they don't know. They have no idea. But what's interesting is McCann, is, who's in this conversation, says, uh, it is he who is the coward. He has fled with his retinue, has left his homeworld, and hidden himself away. There was nothing heroic about those deeds. But privately, McCann suspected that this was no act of cowardice. Usa Zealous was, as Griot had said, unusual. His motives were all but inscrutable. But cowardice, no. So, it's one of those things that I'm going to point out continuously in these chapters of McCann's thoughts and um, contemplations through this all. Because he, I wouldn't necessarily say growing as an individual, he just has an interesting and different way of looking at things compared to the covenant. And it's... It's in a lot of ways treasonous. So that conversation wraps up and we get the confirmation that Kreka, um, the one who said it would be his last journey, so he was just a plot device, to this shield world has died. Nearby was the tomb of Kreka, a simple half dome of metal inscribed with the late warrior's name. The elder had passed on within a short period of arriving for a second and the last time on the shield world. He had been walking in the natural garden of the eco level and had lain down and simply not awakened. So there, there's something um, special about, you know, life finding a way and kind of passing away on the shield world. Uh, it makes it eerily beautiful in this weird kind of way. And their respect to Kreka, um, almost leading them to the promised land, almost biblical in a sense, um, you know, laying him and his uh, grave down to rest. Then we cut back to the high charity, and McCann is having a um, conversation, okay? says, I must tell you that high charity now has a new ministry, McCann. This is a conversation between him and Corlom. He says, uh, you are pleased to be facetious, McCann, a bad habit of yours, but this is no matter for amusement. The hierarchs have created the Ministry of Anticipatory Security, and the minister is your old friend Arno. He made a gesture of irony to go with the word friend. So what I'm noticing throughout these chapters also is that the Covenant have certain hand signals that offer like a loose translation to their language and uh, their characteristics. Um, it also goes more violent than that. It, you know, <laughs> later on, there's a moment where McKinn's protesting and it's kind of like, yeah, if you speak another word, off goes your head, which is, again, cool. No, truly, they chose Arno Custo. Yes, it is he. You two have been at odds many, many a time. I thought you probably had not been told yet and you should be warned. Corlom, thank you for letting me know. But later down in that page, it says... I am happy to be able to give you a warning, but do not look at me for help with Arno. Just consider what this term, anticipatory security, might really mean. And what's uh, interesting is there's, later on, <laughs> him and his wife are thinking 
you know, wow, you know, I just want to cuddle my neck with yours. Like, that's the most attractive thing ever. That's obvious. Kind of, it's like weird where I was like, oh, that's kind of adorable if it wasn't so disgusting. And uh, he's in love with his wife and wants to have a baby. But they have a role of celibates. And the role of celibates is basically they're trying to pre prevent inbreeding and their deformation of by birth. And this is going to play a big, big factor in the later part of the book. And he is not in the role of celibates. Um, but he's also done some finagling in the past to kind of keep himself off uh, um, the role of celibates. So his wife says, what? Such a ministry could not long remain. It's madly unjust. People won't stand for it. I suspect you're right. In time, it will be undone. But in the meantime, we could run a risk by openly reproducing. Arno is not friendly to me. If he finds out about a pregnancy, and he inevitably will, it could lead to some dark treachery on his part used against both of us. Crisanda looked at the floor. I see. Then we will speak only of construction and color glosses and nothing more. Which is kind of depressing. Like, that's sad. Um, he clasped her hands in his and said, Crisanda, please do not mistake me. I keep not from you, but I wanted you to know that there, it, that there is a risk. I wanted to be fair to you, and she put a hand on his lips. McCann, it's always a risk to start a family. Everything joyous is a risk. So we're slowly setting the baby crumbs of his differences between what he wants and the covenant, his, his ideological differences, the need to love and kind of care um, and have that spark, that fiery almost spit of hope in his life um, to question things and to go forward and forge a new path. And the covenant is not about that whatsoever. It's always the covenant first, which is an interesting premise in like just religion in general, where it's like, regardless of intent, you put God first, you know, uh, uh, sins of the body isn't exactly what we're going for here. However, it's nothing but natural to, want to grow and be in a way human even though it's not human it's just a very human thing for mccann and uh chrysanda <laughs> jesus i almost said cassandra uh my sister's name chrysanda to want a kid and just be able to live not necessarily rejecting the covenant but having a choice in the matter and that's something that is again very human free will um, which the covenant does not whatsoever allow. But we get to chapter three and it cuts again. There's a lot of brief interjections in these chapters where it'll go to the high charity, then it'll go to uh, the refuge, which is the shield world. Um, it opens up with Solace Cronin. There are two choices only in fact that 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 is what I believe. Either Usa is a true prophet of all of us, the leader who will take us across the great wilderness to the promised land, or is simply wrong and he has led us from our home in an alien world for no real purpose. Of course, I would never espouse the second interpretation of the facts. No, I do not have the nerd to question our leader, our Kaiden, but some would say. And this goes exactly to the last episode, Tursa. Uh, we get a brief introduction about 
him being a part of a village and the entire village being destroyed by the covenant and him getting slightly agitated at being called, you know, uh, 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 basically a baby did not like it. Um, so he's, he's pretty low on the ranks. Not too many people know him. And it just says Tursa Gronach was feeling very uncomfortable. And it's basically Crowland just shitting all over, um, Usa zealous here. And her, her, him trying to grasp and really understand why he's doing this and ultimately just keeping his mouth shut. He says, oh, I am just speculating on all of this for the sake of discussion, Crowland replied mildly, though there might be another way a deal could be struck, perhaps. With whom? That sounds like treachery. Keep your voice down, full of a childling. You'll have Ernica after us both. I did not mean it that way. I am one who thinks logically and methodically, who looks at all sides of the dilemma. I see no dilemma here. I see a path, only the path we've taken. All of all the Sanghili, only we are the honorable now. And he, he still kind of goes, you know, like, oh, yeah, of, yeah, of course. But, you know, but it's kind of like that meme of, uh, that one girl, I don't remember, it's like where she's like thinking about it and she's like, eh. And then she goes, well, maybe. No, no. It's kind of like that. And even funnier, I have a red tab here because that's a, uh, a slightly uh, red flag. And then we get cut back to McCann at the high charity. This It's just going everywhere. Um, and he's in his studies. He's questioning a lot of things. Um, and we get an insight to how he looks compared to the rest of the covenant. For example... Uh, he's studying basically forerunner architecture, um, and he's rotating the image to look at its beauty. And it says the Sanshion believed the forerunners had deliberately left their traces across the galaxy as signposts, pieces of holy conundrum that once solved would allow other races with enough faith to walk the path of the great journey, eventually joining the forerunners. But if the forerunners were like avatars of God, then who ultimately was God? Was there not some over-God that all must submit to? There must be, and perhaps the end of the great journey was a glorious encounter with the ultimate deity. So McCann's drawing his own assumptions based upon his, his knowledge and preconceived notions that maybe something not necessarily is afoot or that they're in, misinterpreting things, even though there, there comes a point where uh, Usa and the monitor are having a particular conversation, but it's not like he's saying that the great journey is wrong. He's just, he's just asking questions, uh, which is contrary really to faith in itself. Like faith is, is pure belief in subjugation without, you know, any consideration of any logic or, or fact. So him questioning things puts him on like the slippery slope of, uh, well, I, you know, maybe not. I'm not saying that the Great Journey doesn't exist, but how did it work? What's the intricacies? It doesn't matter how it worked. It's it's there. Well, why? You know, and that <laughs> I feel like that's going to be his downfall a little bit, at least, in the slightest. But McCann, as he's in his studies, he runs into uh, Arno who calls him. He says, Prophet of inner conviction, are you there? And 
Arno's pretty slick. Um, <laughs> he's slick. I, I hate this guy, but he's pretty slick. Um, oh, thank you, inner conviction. Like, things like that. What problem would you bring to me, Arno? Ah, should I not be bringing them to you? You speak as if we imagine my status as the same as when we last met. No, no, anticipate anticipatory security i heard that you are now a minister i should have conveyed congratulations before now i only just heard jesus felicitations felicitations what a word uh now what can i help you with (sighs) jesus let's just get into it thank you under conviction i will get right to it you know how difficult and time-consuming tiresome and embarrassing a genetic sorting can be Informed when anybody's medical interference is consulted about pregnancy. And he's referring to Chrysanta. Um, he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, your wife. You know, she's looking um, into something. And he's, he's like, how long has, it, has this kind of thing been going on? Oh, it's a recent arrangement a little while ago. Um, all a part of anticipatory information was approved. Um, McCann goes, anticipatory, as in looking ahead, I see someone has been checking to see if they're pregnant, and this is a concern to me because, of course, it's his mate. So, (laughs) he's basically putting this down, and, and of course, if he's not on the role of celibates, it's not an issue, but Arno's basically stating, well, you know, but, like, I know that you've probably been messing around with it, um... So, here's kind of the deal. Uh, you are perceptive. I say that without confirm or denying your supposition. But inner conviction, coincidentally, there is something we want you to do for us. And m- he's blackmailing McCann with the help of the hierarch, the high prophet of excellent redolence. Um and he wants him to do a mission. And this mission entails basically going to Jan Jerquam, uh, Jean Jerquam, Jean Jerquam, and taking females who willingly come with them without force so they can mate with them. Uh, because the San Shyam role of celibates is ever extending and they're running out of uh, babies. They need. Their, their bloodline's running thin, all right? You know what I mean. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's just, it sucks, man. Like, I, here's the thing. I had a kid three years ago. Um, and if somebody was like, listen, yeah, you can have that kid, but I'm going to need you to willfully, like, kind of kidnap some people. It's not really kidnapping, though. They're coming with us. Um so that we can put babies in them and like increase our bloodline. If somebody said that to me, I'd be like, no, no, I will burn down your house. What are you doing? Uh, and again, it, it goes back to that ideology of choice. And McKen doesn't really have that choice. Even if he does have that choice, he doesn't have that choice. 
And that's kind of how it works. And what you're seeing is the covenant is supposed to be this all-encompassing, selfless unit of individuals that are coming together for a divine reason. But you're, what you're seeing here is political blackmail in order to anticipate or, well, no pun intended, anticipate and uh, evoke their status on an individual that they may not necessarily like because of set of circumstances. So Arno here is playing big dick energy with McKinn and saying, listen, if you want to do this, you're going to have to do what I say. And that's that. You can go to the hierarchy you want, which he does, uh, but it's not going to turn out well for you, which is barbaric. Okay, now back to the shield world where Sulm and Usa Zealous are talking to Enduring Bias. This is Shield World 0673. Um, Enduring Bias, of course, talking quite a lot because he's been alone um, and he just, he's got to ramble. He says, um, for example, Usa said, the ring installations, do you know where these rings are? That information was taken from my memory when I was brought here. These were, these were concert security concerns. I have only a partial knowledge of the rings now. Much was eliminated. It's very disagreeable having a gap in your mind. I don't recommend it. One always comes upon the gap and one probes and finds nothing to where something should wait, should be. It has always seemed to me try to stay focused. I do apologize. So what's um, interesting here is he's basically asking questions to him, trying to prove that the covenant is wrong. He says, so... But what do you know of the so-called great journey? That's, that term is not specifically familiar to me. Sulin looked at him. I thought you didn't believe in the great journey. I don't, Usa assured her. But perhaps the forerunners did. They went nowhere. I was thinking that if we could prove the great journey is a myth, the ring installations were meant for something else. As weapons, I suspect, then perhaps we could re rest some of the fools on Sanghelios away from the covenant. Ah, enduring bias. I'm afraid information that would pertain to such an effort was kept in parts of my memory that, yes, yes, which are now gaps. Go on. And they're basically talking about the shield world um, and the components and how it's basically comprised. Basically, the shield world um, can come apart can come apart and the questions that are being asked from McCann and Sun are like well can you do like a control almost demolition of the shield world um and enduring bias is like well the pieces can come apart they they're row act at actively different pieces and um we I mean we can do that there's a 49 percent that chance that everybody will die though um, we could try it if you'd like. And Usa's like, no, let's, let's not do that. So that's kind of the Chekhov's gun. If you look at the cover of this book, it shows the shield world somewhat disassembling. I'm curious to see if the covenant finds out where they are, that they use this as a defense mechanism and it kills everybody there somewhat, uh, ironically comp completing their great journey. Maybe that's a stretch. But books and shows sometimes do stuff like that. And I'm like, ah, I see what you're doing. So maybe uh, I'm pinning it. I'm pinning it. I haven't finished this book yet. So um, <laughs> that's interesting. But we come back to McKinn, who goes to the hierarchy and basically tries to plead his case, which um, <laughs> is not working. The hierarch says, but 
Here, excellence turned his deceptively mild gaze upon McKen. Is our prophet of inner, uh, inner conviction uh, and readiness? And McKen says, I cannot truly be ready, O Hierarch. For a task I have little confidence in, I request consultation with the full triumvirate of Hierarch so that I may be of assistance in selecting another one, another candidate for ex expedition if indeed the triumvirate approves. And that's basically every single one of these pages where he's like, listen, dude, I can't, I actually don't want to do this, but I, I can't do it. Um, and with Arno over his shoulder, the hierarch basically threatens his life and says, you're going to do this or you're going to die and it's not going to be satisfactory. So basically go to the hangar and get ready. And after leaving the hall, he paused in an observation bubble, directing his chair to a window that looked out on the smeared purple of the nebula to go out there and return to Jandra Quam. He dreamed of going there all his life, but under these circumstances, no. The Stoics were not without their own military resources. What were the chances he would return alive from such a mission? Uh, and the likelihood was that he would die out there away from his beloved mate, never seeing his child. This was utter madness. So n he's not questioning things really anymore. He's fully affirmed and confident that what the Covenant is making him do is not justified. It's madness. Um, and he's slowly taking baby steps away from Covenant ideology and what they're having him do, which McKen so far in this book is the most fascinating character in this book. I think Us is pretty cool, but we're just not there yet with him. Um, but something really cool and unexpected happens immediately in the next chapter. We're introduced to Vil. It says, um, here's the oath he had to take before coming on. On the blood of my father and the blood of my sons, with each beat of each heart within my breast, I swear to uphold the covenant. Um, and we're introduced to a Sangili ranger known as Vil uh, Kathame. And what's interesting about this is, first off, it's so random. But you kind of get into the head of the elite serving with the covenant. All of them secretly want to stab and kill the Sandshion. Like, they think that they are lesser um, than they are. They are more powerful. They're more agile. Um, and they will fight till the death. And it's this frailty that you kind of see of the Covenant where it's like, well, how much do you really believe in the great journey to not kill the Sandshion? Which is a great deal. However, there must be a lot of individuals within the Covenant who might not uh, kind of agree with their portrayal of a union because it's not necessarily, it, it really isn't this, this union. You have the prophets who kind of overlook everything and you have the elites controlling the military, which is perfectly fine and acceptable. And every, everybody, two people said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to be the prophets and you'd be the military leaders. However, um, you know, that might not work out so well, you know, in some cases, um, Hasn't not worked out yet, but I suspect that something fishy could be going on uh, because Vil is on the shuttle with um, McKen. But this passage kind of goes into how Vil and the San, uh, Sangheili are feeling surrender. It was not surrender. The dishonor of such thing the Sangheili could not imagine. No, it was an alliance, and it is saving of Sangheilios. So it's not necessarily just a great journey 
that they're concerned with. It's saving their own people uh, after the subjugation that the San Shion kind of put them under and almost the borderline mass genocide. And we get, I must reform my thinking or turn myself in. He must have no more treasonous fancies. So he's trying his best not to uh, want to kill the San Shion, which is, just hilarious it's it's a great uh, character building moment and uh we immediately get a little conversation between tersa and enduring bias which i put a little note here that says lol um which basically he's talking about the shield world and uh if it were to come apart she said wouldn't you know it opening up and us being in bare space kill us and he says uh now that is another question that's if not answered affirmative or negative, is answered best by perhaps and perhaps not. Because he's answering these questions as yes and no. So she's, he stumbles upon him and says, are you showing, what are you doing showing this world blowing up? Are you showing this world blowing up? And he says yes and no. He's like, that can't be an applicable answer. Um, but <laughs> he says, I must, uh, oh, I see. I must prioritize now and depart from your ever so agreeable companionship. Soon has transmitted a summons to me. Good algorithms to you, young Sankili. And that made me LOL. I was just like, that's kind of adorable. I kind of like uh, enduring bias. And then the final little nugget that we get before we stop is McKinn is on this uh, shuttle with a Hergok and some elites and enough space to basically bring back some mates as well for the San Shion. And uh, the Hergok basically can check, checks the controls, make sure that everything's perfectly fine. And he says, perhaps the prophet would like to inspect it himself. And he says, no. Um, McCann said, glancing at Vil, the young Sing Healy must be bright to have such a quick comprehension of Hergok's sign language. If the Hergok claims it's functional, then it is so. I would only perhaps collide my chair into some control panel and make it non-functional again. But you are scheduled to take part in this incursion expedition, Trot pointed out unnecessarily. You will have to enter this vehicle at the time. Do you wish to have the chair adjusted? The Hergot could do it. <laughs> and McKenzie says, I speak likely. Even as a prophet, you must do so occasionally. So he's he's venting here, um, and the Sangheili are not necessarily acquainted to that because the because if we're being honest, the uh, the Sanshayun feel like they're better than the elites, just like uh, the elites feel like they're better than them in some capacity, and they kind of look down on them. McKen's kind of getting on their level and kind of just being free and being light with some of his. Uh, information and kind of talking through the scenario uh, of his stressful um, position that he's being put in. And McKenna um, takes orders. He says, I shall take the Hergok with me because there is a special relic we hope to find and take with us, and he may be of use. Rangerville Kathami can come along to communicate with him. I have not that particular skill. And it, and it draws down... Um, his three-fingered hand shook as he tapped the arm of his chair, drifted towards the station, his true home of his people, and he was to see it. There was a strong possibility he wouldn't come back alive, but perhaps, after all, it was worth it. So, he's having very real emotions about the situation he's going through, but the, the particular and interesting thing 
is that he does what a lot of people do. You know, you have a bad day at your job and you're like, I want to fucking quit. I, I absolutely hate this place. And then you go home, you come back the next day and you're like, you know, maybe yesterday was just a really bad day. I think I can stick it out. And I don't know about McKen, but situations like that for me, eh, I, no, it, it always comes back, right? Because you're tricking yourself into thinking certain things. Like, oh man, I love Janjir Kwam so much. Who knows? Maybe he goes to Janjir Kwam and becomes a stoic more so than anything, which I don't think would be the case because he loves artifacts so much. The possibilities are just endless with McCann. It's kind of open-ended, but at the same time, there's a lot of possibilities mixed in there with what's been established. Usa Zealous, however is getting slower and slower. And my assumption is, and this is a big assumption, that this first part really deals with McKen, and the second part in 2552 really deals with uh, Usa Zealous um, and the Covenant and things like that. I don't know if that's the correct assumption, but that is my uh, next assumption. So the next part is going to be Chapter 6 through Chapter 11, um, which isn't even close to the end of Part one well i mean it kind of is but it's not it's not that close if we're being honest um and i'm really excited to get back into this it actually took me several times of uh reading and rereading it to kind of settle into it because of the reading pros because i was not expecting a forerunner-esque saga book but once we got into mckinn and his his um trials and tribulations and kind of what he wants to do going forward. I kind of got really invested in his character, which is something I didn't expect from a Covey. Um, so again, thank you all for journeying me, joining me on this journey. Um, the lot of you, I hope you follow me on Twitter. Uh, I want to interact with you all. If not add me on Xbox live at Didax daddy, please don't hack my shit. That wouldn't be cool. I'm giving good faith to you. <laughs> please. Um, I also played some Halo Reach with uh, Ben, aka the Primordian Historian. He has never played Reach before, and when we start to get into the video games, he's going to accompany me uh, on these video games, and he's basically, we're going to talk about each mission in the campaign, uh, the time period, kind of the audio logs or uh, panel or tablets or panels that we kind of find on these missions, as well as some of the backstory of some of these things, as well as, you know, the, some of the multiplayer, because I do think that's an important aspect of Halo, Halo maybe not necessarily lore-based, but it's still an important uh, f identity to Halo, really. So if you want to interact, go follow me at Halo underscore Lorecast. There is a link tree below that will take you to the store. You can buy a fret shirt. It's pretty fucking dope. I got one myself. Um, I would buy samples for other people, but Teespring has kind of increased the prices on samples, which is utter bullshit because that's how you advertise. Um, and if you want to play Halo, go ahead. Just add me. With that being said, pay attention below and look at the questions. Answer them if you'd like. If you don't like, if you won't like, if you wouldn't like to, don't answer. Jesus, I can't talk today. Five stars. Five stars. That's the minimum. Uh, I think you can go up to ten. So, just kidding. You can only go up to five, obviously. So, five stars. Look for the questions and comments below. And then guess what? I'll see you next week for Broken Circle Part 3.